0: that is Tom Luongo.
1: Something world shattering is going to be, to send that the dollar index to that level. I'm like, Do I want to see 150 of 100 the US dollar index? No, I, it's like Mad Max them at that point. I used to joke with people saying, ah, the euro is going to 70 cents, just to see the expression on face. Now I think the euro is going to 60 cents. I think the British pound is going 80 cents. Do you really think Powell and Christine Lagarde are friends given that she wants to make you know, the world's safe for climate change and coordinate central bank policy to fight climate change. And he's never once done anything other than give the most nominal lip service. People who can't afford higher interest rates are the Europeans. They're not raising interest rates to fight inflation. They're raising interest rates to fuck Europe. Whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, it's very clear. I happen to think it's a good thing because it's the USSR and, you know, they're a bunch of fucking commies. And like, I'm done. I mean, don't we see the same rhetoric here out of the, you know, Lizzie Slapahoe Warren, and all the rest of them? They're apparently, in recent weeks, Bitcoin volatility has now dropped below S&P volatility on a historic, you know, historic basis. I was measured by the VIX. I'm humbled in the face of everybody else's right to life. Do you think George Soros or Nathan Rothschild, Klaus von Schnitzel, or Ursula von der Land or any of these fucking assholes, think they believe in this stuff? I'll make the Bitcoin maxis happy. I see a day when the Federal Reserve wants the price of gold to rise and they put Bitcoin on their balance sheet.
0: Welcome back to the Fix the Money, Fix the World podcast that is brought to you by Amber, the only place I'm using to buy my Bitcoin. And today I'm here to introduce a little bit of a firecracker of an episode that I just recorded with the one and the only Tom Luongo. Okay, a little bit of a PSA, a public service announcement. If you plan on listening to this one, maybe in the car with your kids around or at home and the speakers, uh, probably don't because obviously I'm Australian, so my uh, vocabulary is a little bit loose, and Tom is a very fiery Italian. So uh, we do let a few swear words fly in this one, but I really do hope it's gonna be an entertaining one. We talk about Klaus Schwab, we talk about the Great Reset, we obviously talk about macroeconomics, geopolitics, and how Bitcoin Fits into all of this. Um, So, without further ado, let's get into this one. But let's actually first hear from today's show sponsors. So, starting off with Amber, they are a Bitcoin only company who are hyper focused on educating you about money and, more importantly, about Bitcoin. Okay. You guys can get $10 of free Bitcoin if you use the link in today's video description to head on over to Amber. And they're going to simply give you $10 of free Bitcoin for signing up over on their exchange. I highly recommend them. And again, they are bitcoin only okay if the recent blow up of the ftx exchange or even block file celsius hasn't taught you anything it's that if you have counterparty risk to any company that is not bitcoin only you are in grave danger my friend and obviously the first rule of bitcoin is not your keys not your coins even if you have bitcoin on a trustworthy bitcoin only exchange like amber We still recommend you take those Bitcoin off the exchange and put them into your own hardware wallet where nobody can confiscate, control, tax, or even trace your Bitcoin, okay? Self-custody is the way to go. And I actually highly recommend you check out one of these bad boys right here, that is a BitBox O2 hardware wallet. Again, they are a Bitcoin only hardware wallet and they are sponsoring today's podcast. So you can get 5% off a BitBox O2 hardware wallet. If you use the promo code, Bitcoin made simple, very easy to remember. Bitcoin made simple, no spaces, highly recommend you check out the BitBox O2 hardware wallet, the cheapest and the easiest hardware wallet on the market today you can honestly set one up in like five minutes Um, and today's final show sponsor hodling apparel the best bitcoin and freedom oriented clothing brand in the space and you can get anything you like from hodling apparel from hats to sweaters to hoodies to t-shirts they've got it all Highly recommend you check those guys out. You can get 20% off any purchases um, on the Hotland Power website if you use promo code BMS20. Again, links for all the show sponsors will be in today's uh, show notes. Oh, I'm not done yet. Final little reminder, if you are listening to this one on your podcasting platforms such as Fountain or Apple Podcasts or Spotify, highly recommend you check out the video recording of this interview over on YouTube, again, links to the video will be in the description. Um, Tom and myself take a look at some very, very interesting charts uh, throughout the interview. So I highly recommend you head on over to the Bitcoin Made Simple YouTube channel. Feel free to subscribe to the channel over there as well. I do have a couple of very interesting interviews coming out next week. Um, had the pleasure of having the one and the only Preston Pish on the podcast and James Lavish just this week. So if you subscribe to the channel... You'll be notified when those videos come out. Without further ado, I really hope you enjoy this one with uh, Tom, and I will talk to you guys on the other side. Okay, so welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I hope you're doing well. And uh, today, I'm joined with a man who I think has probably the most interesting thesis surrounding macroeconomics and geopolitics today. That is Tom Luongo. Uh, Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today, my friend?
1: I'm good. How are you? Thanks for the invite, Luke.
0: Absolutely, no worries at all. I was uh, chomping at the bit to get you on the podcast because I think your thesis is going to trigger a lot of people. Um, so before we really dive into the, uh, the the meat and the bones of this uh, podcast, Tom, I think it'll help to kind of set the conversation up for people by mm-hmm. maybe you can explain who you think the different factions around the world are um, and maybe you can explain to us like who Davos is and um, kind of breaking down who these different factions are that uh, maybe think they control the world.
1: Yeah, that's it, the best way to look at it. You got to remember that everybody thinks they are potent and thinks they're powerful and they do actually have power. Also remember that everybody I'm talking about are psychopaths and that's very hard for us to get into their heads. So let's, let's start with like the, let's get the basics out of the way. I'm, and when, I'm, and when it sounds like I may be you know, defending the psychopaths at the Fed and the New York banks, I'm not. I'm just identifying their incentives. We're at a point in time where the entire old world structure, and I, I, when I, in, in a sense, what the way I want to look at this and break it down in like really broad terms, we've lived in the era of central banks since the formation of the Bank of England in 1694. right? Um, central banks have effectively run have over the course of time become more and more central to the financial system, the global financial system, to where they are today, where they literally are controlling almost all of it, like, where, where they have subordinated the commercial banking system's ability to assess risk uh, for you know, investment capital. right? And that's where they set interest rates and they set the cost of money and they do all of these things. So for the most part the commercial banking system has been supplanted by the central banking system. Now that system was only going to last for so long, Mises and Hayek and you know all the Austrians you know a priori worked out why they're going to fail, why all of their interventions in the market are necessary for them to maintain their system, but every intervention is brings them closer to their own destruction, right? That's like I like to use the, the metaphor, if you're a pilot, you understand what I mean by the term coffin corner, which is what once you get above a certain, the operational limit of an airplane, in or, you know, that where once you get above a certain uh, elevation, your only options are to fly higher because there's not enough air going under the wings to maintain your airspeed. You have to keep flying faster, which means you have to keep flying higher. And eventually you reach an upper, you reach an upper limit and then you stall and then you crash. And once you reach, once you get above that threshold and you know, once you breach that threshold, you can't come back down without stalling. And this is a, a powerful metaphor for understanding the credit creation cycle, where the central banks are, where the debt limit of, of, uh, of debt issuance and, and all of this stuff is. And We're in that right now. When you, when you. When you get into a situation like that, it's existential for everyone because look, they're going to stall and then it's going to crash and then all their power goes away, right? Because all of the assets that they generate all their power from have been inflated, elevated in value above a level that that they can't drop below without causing a, a massive crash, right? This is the basic argument. And I think Coffin Corner is a perfect metaphor for this in terms of just think of valuations of stocks and bonds and you know levered loans and all this stuff. So it, so where we've been since the global financial crisis since 2008 was the Coordinated Central Bank era after the dollar reserve standard died. The dollar reserve standard died in 2008. And we've been in the Coordinated Central Bank era of monetary policy ever since, where the BOJ and the SNB and the Bank of England and the ECB and the Fed and, and the rest of them have all been coordinating monetary policy to basically do round robin QE to keep everything flying higher and higher and higher until eventually (laughs) the whole thing has to collapse. So against that backdrop, what are we looking at? We're looking at a whole bunch of people trying to figure out who's going to survive the crash, who can actually steer this thing, you know, and and maybe the best way to look at it is that this, all of these planes are above cough, you know, have reached that, reached that point and everybody is going to start falling in different order, right? And as each one falls and, you know, the operational limit of, each, every, of every survivor's plane goes up in effect. Because once you've killed off the ECB, then that's a lot of debt taken out of the system. And therefore, it, makes, it gives more run rate to the Fed and the BOJ and everybody else. And then the BOJ fails. And then we have, you know, and then and eventually and my argument is that the Fed has the most power. Because it can still because it controls the issuance of the world's um global reserve currency, which is changing, which is hap- which is which is no which is not going to be the case, say 10 or 15 years from now, as the world de dollarizes. But for right now, that's where we are. So I think the Fed has the power, if it's got the right tools, to deflate everybody else and keep its plane flying while everybody else's crashes. And so now let's, now let's identify the fact. Now that you understand that the problem is, is that the factions under this scenario are all going to change relative to what we've all been imprinted with thinking that those factions were say in 2008, 2009, even as late as like 2016 or 2017. So, you know, was JP Morgan Davos in 2015? Did they really have a choice not to be is a better question because the minute Trump was elected and the minute Brexit happened and the minute Janet Yellen's term at the Fed was um, up, who did they put in place? A non-academic, non-globalist from the the private financial, private equity markets, Jerome Powell. Did they put in another egghead academic like Bernanke? Did they put in an an open freaking globalist who undermined, who did did everything she could when she was, you know, a a regional Fed governor to undermine Greenspan? Janet Yellen? No. They put in private equity Powell. Guess who private equity Powell has deep relations with? All the New York money center banks. Who owns the New York Fed? The money center New York banks. Right? So, who's the most powerful of the 12 regional fed banks? The New York Fed. Like this isn't hard. Like, you know.
0: Oh. And, and while you're talking about power, Tom, maybe this mm-hmm. is a good point. I wanted to ask you a question about power's genealogy today in the podcast right. and I think maybe now is probably not the worst time to jump into that because a lot of people just think, okay, all the central bankers are aligned, they're all, you know, coordinating monetary policy, but All of these facts about Powell maybe suggest that, you know, maybe he's He's not not. part of Team Davos or Team Japan or... So, yeah, maybe you can...
1: Yeah, so, yeah, all I say is, you know, this is not, again, I I always give credit where credit is due. Like, I didn't come up with this on my own. I didn't go and do the genealogy deep dive on the Powell. But one of my patrons did and then posted it on our private server, our private discussion server that we have. And and we sat and chatted about it. And we're like, yeah, that doesn't sound like a guy who would be uh, willing to... You know, I don't know. Throw uh you know, throw all of U.S. commercial banking under the bus to Klaus von Kami Schnitzel. I just don't see it. That Powell is eighth generation American, going back to the Virginia aristocracy, which effectively, you know, was the prime impetus uh, for the and prime um, financiers of the early American re- uh, re- revolution against the British Crown. British Crown. I mean, that's where. Washington comes from. That's where, you know, Jefferson comes from. This, 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 that Virginia aristocracy were very powerful. And is Powell part of that? Is is Powell going to be a race traitor to those people? It's a good question because it doesn't look like it from my, from my perspective. So it's just something to think about. It's just another layer to this thing. And I remember when I first started talking about I started first started thinking about this before I even went public with it. The first thing I did was I went to my people on Slack. I knew that I had a couple of people who knew, you know, who used to be, you know, close to the centers of power in New York. Okay. I had patrons who were, um, who were people like this. I, you know, and I just said, Hey man, um, does anybody here really believe that, um, that Jamie Dimon and company and Solomon and Lloyd Blankfein and the rest of them are all going to just, you know, you know, like, turn over the commercial banking system of the United States, the most powerful political and uh, economic lobby in the world, over to a bunch of German technocratic commies? And they're like, no, I know these people. They're like, no, well, that's not going to happen. Like, It makes sense. They don't call them, and literally, they don't call him private equity Powell for nothing. You know, this is the kind of thing that you have to really start thinking about, and then You know, realize that, uh, you know, do you really think Powell and Christine Lagarde are friends? Given that she wants to make, you know, the world safe for climate change and coordinate central bank policy to fight climate change. And he's never once done anything other than give the most nominal lip service to fighting climate change through monetary policy. Like, and, you know, when you listen to Powell talk about these things, you know, he just he's just obviously like fielding the question and trying to get rid of it. Same thing with central bank retail central bank digital currencies. And I, I, I make the distinction between retail and wholesale central bank digital currencies. I, I, I understand the need to update SWIFT with some kind of wholesale digital blockchain or distributed database or you know encrypted distributed database technology that's better than SWIFT because SWIFT is you know telegraph communications level technology. You know it's telephone for all intents and purposes. It's telephone based for Christ's sake. Like it's stupid and it's expensive and it's slow. It's being outcompeted competed by Bitcoin. It's being outcompeted competed by, you know, it, it will be outcompeted competed by Ripple unless Ripple is the thing that replaces Swift, which is what I think they're angling. Which I, I think somebody's angling for Ripple to replace Swift. And I think, you know, others are angling for their version of Ripple to, you know, I don't know who's gonna win that fight. And I don't, you know, and I know that there are a lot of people who are very heavily invested in trying to tease that out and, you know, more power to you and, you know, leave me comments, send me DMs, give me your, your take on it. I'm more than willing to, and open-minded to listen, you know, cause I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it at this point. Um, so yeah, but like, I just don't think the New York banks are down with what's going on because it's clear that it's the next, that the plan for the great reset, and the plan for retail central bank digital currencies is the death of commercial banking in the West or frankly the world. And, um, you know, What do commies want? Commies want no banking. Commies want centralized capital formation. They want control over the means of production. How do you get control over the means of production? By having control over who gets the capital and at what price? Like this is basic stuff here. And we're at basic stuff because we're at the end of the system of obfuscating what has been basic stuff all along into overly complicated bullshit to um, to bamboozle us into believing that this bullshit is right. When the whole purpose of all of it was that they all just wanted to sit there, put, erect their
0: boots and get their vig. Just wanted to quickly interrupt today's podcast to remind you guys to go and get yourself $10 of free Bitcoin from Amber. Okay, highly recommend you check Amber out. We are rolling out to another 60 countries in the coming weeks. So head on over to Amber, hit on that link in the description and see whether you can download the Amber app in your country. We have beta testing rolling out all around the world and we plan on being the biggest Bitcoin only company around the world that's going to help you buy Bitcoin. But more importantly, educate you about bitcoin we have a great newsletter on there um i recently had the pleasure of uh writing a newsletter about the dollar milkshake got another newsletter coming out about the bitcoin milkshake coming out on amber next week highly recommend you check them out um without further ado i hope you enjoy the rest of this interview with the one and the only tom luongo
1: At the end of the day these people are all my bosses it's all it is. it's nothing new You know, you got one mob boss fighting another mob boss. You've got the commie mob boss versus the fascist mob boss. What's the difference? I mean, the the banking system here in the United States is mostly regulatorily captured anyway. It's not even, it's it's a corporatist monstrosity, but is it better than what, you know, what Klaus wants? Yes. Will we fight them after we get rid of Klaus? Yes. Do we hate them still? Yes. But do we hate them a little less than we hate Klaus? who wants us to eat bugs and live in pods and, you know, make assisted suicide a growth industry and all the rest of it. No, I don't want to live in that fucking world. Piss on that guy. And that's, this is it. And I think like, and dude, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, Jamie Dimon's thinking exactly the same way I am. And he might even have a, well, he probably doesn't have a stogie in his hand or, you know, drink anymore after the air, aortic section he went through. But, you know, like, you know, with his kale juice, which would be bad for him. And, and, you know, like, dude, seriously, it's what he's saying. Like You know, when they go to the Hamptons in the summer and they think about this shit and they talk about it, this is what, these are the conversations and they're having them just as frankly with probably even more invective than I'm pulling out my, uh, you know, out of my soul this morning. So, you know, it is what it is like, just think like them and then figure out where it goes and identify their incentives and then everything makes sense or at least most things make sense.
0: I think the entire kind of macroeconomic picture you paint does make a lot more sense when you kind of realize, hang on a minute, we're at the end of an 80-year long-term debt cycle. The US is being challenged for its global reserve currency status. And when you look back over the past 500 years, every single time you've had an empire challenged, and you've had somebody like a Europe or a China come up and challenge that quote-unquote decline in empire, you always end up in wars. And when governments are over-indebted, like you always, whenever whenever there's a fight over money, you always Mm. see wars and all sorts of things happen. So I think um, when we kind of add that uh, context to the conversation, I hope people can maybe open their minds up a little bit to the fact that, uh, hang on a minute, maybe all these central banks um, aren't aligned in their policies and maybe the U.S. is trying to protect itself as opposed to bail out the rest of the world. It's...
1: Yeah, well, that's that's I and Luke, you've got it in one. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot going on here. And um, Mm -hmm. the big question is who's trying to destroy the United States? Because if you look at the Biden, like, I I was somebody uh, linked me to uh, a recent interview with Bill Holter over at JS Mindset, the the guy who took over for Jim Sinclair. Bill's a good guy, and I like Bill. A lot of respect for Bill and what he does. And um, he just, you know, kind of laid it out the other day. He just said, beautiful, like kind of almost Ron White-like in his, in his, in his simplicity, you know, Ron White's famous for saying, you can't fix stupid. The, 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 the Texas, uh, um, uh, uh you know, comedian, you can't fix stupid. Well, he's like, Bill Holter's like, this policy is so stupid. It can't be stupid. It has to be, it has to be, um, intentional. And I've been calling these people vandals or, and or traitors for, well, forever, but you know, certainly since the Biden administration took over. I mean, it's just purely staffed by people who were vandals trying to destroy the United States at every level. Now, again, I have lots of specific and deep criticisms of my country, without a doubt. And um, part of the reason why I do what I do is because I have deep and abiding criticisms of my country and of, of my government. But at the same time, that does not mean that everything about the United States is bad and anything, and anybody trying to take the United States down a peg is good. That is a false dichotomy. And that's a, I'll be honest with you, that's a false dichotomy promulgated by people adjacent to me in this kind of geopolitical commentary space that then that, that is, is unacceptable if they're actually being honest. And therefore, that the minute I call them out on that, and they, you know, just say, and they get all triggered and defensive, and I'm speaking specifically like people like Caitlin Johnstone, I then say, "Fine, you're an operative. Whether you're a useful idiot or you're not, you're just an operative. You're either a useful idiot, and you're too goddamn stupid to see what the what the real play is here, or you actually work for the Chinese. I don't care. I've 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 accused her of it. She's she's you know she's dismissed it publicly. That's fine, great. But then okay, so now okay, you're just stupid. Oh, okay." that's, that's, that's good to know. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, okay. You're just dumb. So now I cannot listen to a word you say anymore. Interestingly enough, she still, she still allows her, you know, it's still a, yeah, there's still an open conversation between her and I on Twitter, even though I've called her a soulless twat in public. Normally that would just, I mean, I, if someone called me a soulless twat in public, I think I would probably just block them. I mean, you know, let's like, you know, life is too short to deal with people who are that that rude and that blunt. Like, you know, come on, I'm rude and blunt. So I expect to get blocked for that. Like, that's fine. You know, like, how about you do that? But if you're not, that means you want to, you want to, that means you want to listen to what I have to say. And that tells me something, but you know, it is what it is. Maybe I'm paranoid. Maybe I'm not, I don't give a shit. doesn't matter. So, um, what's important to understand here is that there's, um, the, the powers that be are desperately trying to figure out how they can sell us on a false narrative for the future of what our optimal path is, while they still remain in power. As opposed to realizing that the forces of decentralization are overwhelming them. Technology and the forces of decentralization that that spawns is overwhelming them. And they won't be able to maintain their control over the world. Now, these people are narcissists and bullies and abusers and psychopaths and all the rest of it. So they will never admit defeat until we actually defeat them, okay? They will continue to play this game for as long as they have to and try and get the dumb people. And, you know, I even hate to use that term because it's really just the frightened people, the ones at a constant state of fight or flight, the people who have been anxiety pimped and gaslit into a, a state of, you know, complete and utter emotional arousal that's, that robs them of their reason. Um, and it's happening all over the political spectrum. It's not just the, 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 woke left, it's the libertarian, it's the, for lack of a better term, the alt-right or the alt-alternative, you know, nat- you know, I think he could use the term alt-right even just just, you know, those on the right that are, you know, Trumpian and even vaguely nationalist in their thinking. Like, they don't know what to do. They just know that they're under unbelievable attack from horrible people. And what they need is some, you know, some guidance as to what's actually happening and to retain their reason so that they can then call bullshit where it needs to be called, see things for as they actually are, and then, uh, and then order up the operations and how it is that we muddle through this, either individually so that we just survive it, or as a society or as individual societies, survive it so that we can, by surviving it, we resist it. And then it eventually, and then the impulse for it goes away because this is a moment in time, right? These All of these factors have to line up in a particular way, in a particular order for them to all coalesce around what it is, what it is that... These people want and what I call them I call them Davos. if they don't get that during this moment in time it's like all these forces are converging around this moment and that, but they're but these are all just vectors and it's you know moving in that direction and eventually the Venn diagram blows apart and there's no overlap anymore and then everybody's individual uh, incentives you know f- keep this from a- actually ever coalescing into the you know into an energy state that into a minimum that will uh, allow them to maintain control for some amount of time. Remember, I'm a chemist, too, so I'm I'm kind of mixing metaphors a little bit here, but I see this is the way I kind of see these things. Um, and, um, you know, I've, I've got very specific memories. I'm actually dredging up while I'm giving this talk about, yeah, that's actually a really good metaphor, but it would take me half an hour to explain the friggin chemistry and the physics behind that to, 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 to again, to, to get mm. another metaphor into the into the mix here you know coffin corners are already complicated enough for most people Mm -hmm. so
0: no i think um you certainly hit the nail on the head there we talk about a critical thinking is uh lacking and not only on the left but maybe also on the far right i I don't like to be it absolutely absolutely
1: is it absolutely is I, i see it everywhere and i and i work really hard with my patrons to try and keep them from loot you know Say, look, it's not as it's not as desperate as you think of this. It's not as bad as you think of this. It's not as monolithic. This their power isn't as monolithic as it looks, and it isn't one big club. The club is fighting amongst itself. Yes. Well, I think he is looking. I think he is looking out for the United States because he, I think he understands that at a, from a legal level, from a, you know, corporate law, purely from a legal level, the United States is still the best place in the world to do commercial bank. I mean, it is. I mean, our constitution is, you know, is is the most robust in terms of unlocking human potentially unlocking human potential through the formation the private application of of capital as opposed to everywhere else. Certainly not in China, certainly not in Russia, certainly not in Iran, certainly not in the European Union, certainly not in the UK, as we found out last week. Like, you know, this is all, I mean, go you go around the world and you look. Like, the, the Constitution may be, you know, on life support. 95% of the federal government may be, may be unconstitutional by any strict, you know, constructive read of it, but it's still there in place. And why, and if they've already got all this, why are they going after the Supreme Court? Why are they going after, you know, why are they going after, you know, Congress? And you know, why is Congress ceding its ability to make war why, to the president? Why is, why is these things happening, right? And when you ask yourself that question, why do they continue to go after these things? Why is Biden trying to federalize Roe v. Wade after the Supreme Court struck it down, right? Why are we getting, you know, bad rulings from Amy Coney Barrett Without even an opinion attached, like this morning, there was a thing. You know, there was a thing that that uh, I don't. I can't remember the issue now, but it doesn't matter. It was a completely stupid response from her. You know, judgment from her throwing out a particular thing, particular issue. I can't quite remember what it was, but she didn't even give an opinion. She just said, "Nope, it's constitutional." Now, when's the last time you saw a judge? Not, you know, write some lengthy freaking opinion. Well, there's a good question for that. Is she an operative? Is she owned and operated by somebody? Is she compromised? Is her family threatened? What's going on here? Why do they need to pack the court? Why do they need to constantly threaten the Supreme Court? These are good questions.
0: Lots of good questions in the world today that are going uh, unanswered. And a question that uh, I get posed with a lot, Tom, is... um, What are you talking about, Luke? The Fed can't control financial markets. And I wanna use this as a little bit of a jumping off point to kind of Mm -hmm. um, maybe bring up a couple of charts to add a little bit more color to the conversation. I wanna actually bring up a chart. Firstly, um, everybody should definitely go and read this article that you released in, was this June twenty, August, 2021? Uh, Let me squeeze your dollars five basis points at a time um and this kind of
1: it's a great such a great moment I'm sorry. <laughs> every time i see that it's... meme i just laugh like you know that's so funny uh i love yeah, making dude. fun of a it just makes it just makes me laugh
0: yeah i call her the uh burnt lobster because when she gets a little <laughs> bit too much fake tan on she she looks a little bit like a burnt lobster um mm-hmm. but in in that article tom um you raise a very very interesting point you pretty much lay out your whole thesis Um, And you essentially said in June 2021, um, the Federal Reserve raised the interest rate on the RRP window, money flooded into the reverse repo market. And we can just see by looking at this chart, what happened to the euro uh, Mm -hmm. since that decision in June of 2021. So um, I just wanted to show that chart for the listeners so they can kind of understand a little bit more about the thesis, but uh, maybe you can lay out uh, why you think June 2021 was such a pivotal time and Um, How you've kind of seen it evolve since then?
1: Okay, well, three things happened in June 2021. June 5th, Mm -hmm. 2021, at a a convocation of central bankers in Europe, I can't remember the name of the summit, um, Jerome Powell openly told Christine Lagarde that the Federal Reserve is not going to set monetary policy to fight climate change, at which point she lost her mind. Two weeks, uh, 11 days later, Joe Biden meets with Vladimir Putin in Geneva to stave off the war between Russia and Ukraine um, then, which was only delayed for nine months, uh, or eight months. And on the same day was the federal reserve meeting and the FOMC on that day raised the reverse repo rate payout rate, right? The, what they pay, uh, on a reverse rate on a, a reverse repo contract where they sell a treasury to a bank and the bank gives them money. Right. And these repo contracts can last anywhere from, um, 24 hours to 14 days, or even some 30 day repos, but generally between seven to between 24 hours, one day and 14 days, they can be rolled over. And they have been rolled over because there's a standing balance on the, uh, the RRP facility, but that five basis points, um, was over the fed funds rate. So whatever the, fund, so at the time the fed funds rate was you know around 0.25%, they hadn't sort of raising rates yet. So they were paying 30 basis points as opposed to 25. And what happened? Well, I didn't think anything of it. Zero Hedge seriously didn't think anything of it because they sat there and said, oh, this was another nothing burger of a Fed meeting where they kicked the can down the road and didn't do anything. They just raised this one little interest rate, technical interest rate, five basis points. I'm like, okay. And then all I said was, then why did the euro drop a point and a half yesterday? And by the end of that week, why was the euro down from $1.22.5 to $1.19? And that's when the wheels started kicking in. That's when I started to put everything together. And I started to remember things that I'd heard from other people and other sources. And, you know, you read stuff and people make comments about what they think is going on and blah, 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 blah. Um, and you just put it all together. You just start doing some synthetic work. And all of a sudden, like all this stuff starts popping off in the back of my head. And I, the Fed just stealth tightened. And then the at the same time that that happened, the reverse repo facility started accreting even more money. Now, it was already the standing balance at that point was about $450 billion. By the end of the summer, at Jackson Hole, it was $1.7 trillion. Okay. Today, it stands about $2.2 trillion after hitting a high of like just under $2.5 trillion. There it is. And I, I know that, okay, that may be, yeah, I mean, so maybe it's actually, yeah. So those are overnight reverse repos. That's not even the full balance. That's saying, you know, the overnight is $1.3 trillion. By the way, that's $1.3 trillion in liquid money that the Fed can push into the market whenever the dollars it can push into the domestic market whenever it needs to. Okay. We don't have a liquidity crisis in the United States. There's 1.3 there's one There's $1.3 trillion in overnight reverse repos just sitting there waiting. <laughs> to drop back into the market. There's no liquidity problems in the U.S. Treasury market either because those treasuries can be moved around if necessary. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so why would the Fed do this? Why would the banks do this? Why why was there a need for the banks, the U.S. banks, to get access to trillions of dollars in U.S. Treasuries? Savings rate all the money that was printed and sent out as UBI and tax credits and all these and stimulus checks under Trump and early under Biden was saved. Go look at the U.S. savings rate. The U.S. savings rate hit a high, a all time high of 33% in the aftermath of COVID and the CARES Act. During early parts of 2021, It was, yeah, like that month, like in March, it was 33%. Until the reverse repo. So what happens to a bank? All this, your savings is a bank's liability. The bank takes your savings, issues a loan, which it then puts on its books as an asset. The bank accounting is completely backwards from your personal accounting. A loan is your liability and your money is your asset. Same thing for a company. But for a bank, it's the exact opposite. Your savings is their liability because of the, because you can take that money out. It's your money, supposedly. All right. So if everybody took all their stimulus checks and stuffed them in their savings accounts and their checking accounts, there's not enough treasuries in the there's not and the and the banks can't loan into this this environment because the whole friggin economy has been shut down. What do the what do the banks have to do? They have to go to the Fed to go get a stock of U.S. They have to go into the market and get U.S. treasuries. The Fed enabled this using its massive um, pile over two and a half trillion dollars, I think is the, the number of Fed, of U.S Treasury sitting on its balance sheet, said, "Hey, you guys need treasuries, here you go, and we'll even lend you and we'll even lend them out to you for five basis points over the Fed funds rate to do so. We will incentivize you to do this if this is what needs to be done. As the savings rate came down, you would expect then the balance on the reverse repo facility to drop as well. But it hasn't because um, there's still no place to put that money. They can't take that money and put it out into the world because there's no, because we don't have a, we don't have a good market to go make money on loans. You need to start raising the, the, you know, Now you have to, you know, the Biden administration is saying you can't invest in oil. We need oil. We need new sources of oil and gas, but you're not allowed to frack. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. There's, you know, there's too much uncertainty in the labor market, right? There's, and there's, the labor market's a mess. I was just sort of, I was working on a piece right before we, you know, I was trying to get it done actually before you and I started recording this morning, um, talking about the weird situation and the unemployment and job openings, and wage growth, and that weird numbers, like why Biden and the Democrats think that, no, the economy's still strong, and we're not in a recession, even though GDP growth has been negative. Right? Why is that? Well, Daniel DiMartino Booth, in her interview with Hedgeye last week, noted the situation. Amazon's cutting all their middle and high-paying jobs, but they're hiring a bunch of low-paying jobs for the Christmas market. Because they're going to need low-paying people to stuff boxes and ship things and move stuff around and you know carry, you know carry inventory from this pile to that pile and all that stuff. Those are fifteen-dollar-an-hour jobs in this economy. But they're but do they need uh all the overhead? Do they need the do they need the economists? Do they need the middle managers? What do they need? you know who do they need? Do they need no? They're not. Those jobs are getting cut. They're going to cut all across corporate America. We have a weird situation here where we have a recession where high-paying jobs are getting cut, and low-paying jobs are, are you know, are, the, the, and there's a a, a surplus of low-paying jobs. I don't know about you, but in my hometown, like half the restaurants and half the the businesses all had to like start go on you know they all went on lowered hours. I had you know, um, or restaurants started closing early, or weren't open on Mondays anymore or and they all said the same thing we can't get anybody to work basic friggin jobs that and businesses that form the backbone of a basic economy you know without you know car repair shops and without restaurants and without you know in my area of the world feed stores you know i mean without this stuff like we don't function as a society and so those job openings are everywhere, and by the way, those people are the most ones most likely to file for unemployment. They're the ones that don't. They're the only ones that qualify for unemployment. Do you think those the, those guys making a hundred grand over it stuffing the the cor- the C suites over in, at Amazon, not the C suite, but you know the the middle the 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 upper floors at the at, at the various Amazon offices, or you know IBM or whatever? You think those guys are all? You think those guys? Qualify for unemployment? No. So what does that do to U3 unemployment, which only measures unemployment um, applications? It keeps it suppressed. These people don't file for unemployment. (laughs) Or they don't get any benefits. Doesn't matter. They don't show up. And that's why you can have job growth and real wages going down because we're adding low-paying jobs and we're killing high-paying jobs. So median household wage rates go down both in, they're, they're falling in nominal terms and they're not keeping up with inflation, but they're rising in, they're, they're, they're they're still rising, but at a slower rate, right? They're down from 11% year over year to eight and a half percent year over year, which is lower than inflation, but they're falling in real terms because inflation is running greater, greater than 8% now. And. Inflation is completely understated. It's actually real inflation rate. probably closer to 17%. So the bond market's completely mispriced. The labor market's completely mispriced. It's a good thing, actually, that we're starting to see low-paying people are now finally going, I need to go back to work. Biden was paying people not to go to work. We're seeing that all across the world. It's crazy. They were trying to push on UBI and MMT and force the argument as to why we needed this stuff. Why? Because they wanted to fault on all of that.
0: It's uh, it's funny you mention uh, the manipulated CPI inflation metrics because um, I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if somebody in the US is manipulating those unemployment numbers uh, artificially low because that gives the Fed even more political cover to fight inflation and aggressively raise interest rates even more. Well, so
1: right. If you think of the politics of it, right, we're coming into a midterm mm. election. Biden needs to have Biden needs to be able to go out there and go like you said the other day. Oh, the economy is strong as hell. We got better inflation numbers than everybody else, and blah 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 blah. blah. Yeah, exactly. Low unemployment numbers. He needs that. The Fed's going. Yeah, well, unemployment's low. We're raising rates. Fuck you. Yeah. Like, you know, like, yes! <laughs> like, I can like, yes. I, I'm sitting here going, uh huh? Yeah. If I'm sitting on the FOMC right now, if I'm, you know, if I, you know, take over for, you know, yeah, you know, I'm sitting there in the Federal Reserve Board. I'm yeah. Where, where, where's Tom on the dot plot for next for for next uh, a point and a quarter? Hey, how about a point and a half? Ah, I don't know. Somebody, how about a point and a half? Let's just like, let's just like twist the knife even more for senile Joe like and Obama and Klaus von Kami schnitzel and all the rest of these people. Fuck you. Like that's been, Powell has actually raised rates in a way this year that I only dreamed he would at the beginning of the year. Like I was the only one saying the, not the only one, but one of the few people saying at the beginning of the year, in January, the fed's going to raise rates far beyond 1%. You know, you're all wrong. They're doing it for these reasons. The inflation is structural. They have demand side tools for a supply side problem, blah, 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 blah. We all know these things. So why are you telling me that they're going to have to pivot at 1%? Peter Schiff, this one, that one, everybody else. Oh, because you want them to, because you want to be right. Not because you're right. It's because you want to be right. Not because you are right. There's a big difference between those two things. That's, you know. (laughs) <laughs> like very big. That's like, that's the gap, right? And and 95% of all financial commentary is most people are just talking their book. Like maybe I'm talking my book, but guess what? I'm not invested in any of these markets. The hell with that. I just buy gold and stack it. I do what Peter Schiff tells everybody to do. I just buy gold and, and, and stack it. And I don't even worry about stuff like this because, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's a dollar bull market. Why would I buy anything else other than dollars? You know, when the dollar's not in a bull market anymore, I'm going to not buy dollars anymore. I'm going to sell those dollars. I'm going to buy other things, right? But you know, if, as a as an analyst, I, I've always learned from my my own personal perspective and my own personal um, emotional makeup and psychology and everything else that I'm not any good as an analyst if I have if I have too much skin in the game. I just I wind up talking in my book like everybody else. So I don't care. My goal is. I, I Look, I'm like Klaus Schwab. I'm ideologically driven. I want to see a better world with more people, getting more things and having a better life and having all the things that they ever wanted. And I believe that that's done through the application of capital in the hands of the private sector by human beings who are in charge of their own property and their own wealth and not a bunch of, you know, egghead academic, um, you know, German eugenicists. Sorry, just not going for that. I, I, am sorry. I think I'm, a, I think I'm in the moral right there. So that's as close to my, to me talking in my book as you'll ever get out of me. Okay, uh, I'm not actually telling you that gold is going to go to the roof anytime soon. I'm going to tell you that gold has a better chance of hitting 1,400 than it has hit in 2,000 in the next 12 months. Because that's reality. It's a dollar bull market, and the and until the until the COMEX and the LBMA futures market is con- destroyed then those that are short, biblically short dollars out there in the international markets are going to use gold futures as a piggy bank like they always do. Until the loss of institutional confidence really takes over. Well, we're going to get there. When are we going to get there? Let the, let the charts tell you. Let the technical analysis tell you. You can do all the fundamental analysis you want, but, fun, but markets don't trade on fundamentals. Markets trade on momentum and sentiment. Hardest one lesson I've ever... Had in capital markets. Okay? Doesn't matter that the dollar is fundamentally flawed as a currency. It's still better than everybody else's. And in the great game of global capital, you don't have to be good. You just have to be better than everybody else. You don't have to you don't have to be the fastest guy outrunning the bear. You just have to be better than the bear. Everybody else is getting eaten by the bear.
0: And they're getting eaten quickly, Tom. That's what I'm kind of watching about this dollar bull market. I think in a recent podcast, uh, you said something along the lines of you expect the dollar to be in a bull market for the next 18 months. I'm I'm not sure if that was right or not. I think that's about right. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I I was just sitting there thinking to myself, if the dollar remains in a bull market for the next 18 months, I hate to see what Europe's going to be like in eighteen months' yeah. time because I, I don't think they're going to last eighteen months. Um, no, so I, I, I,
1: I hate to ha- I hate to sit here with, with a big like I got the Stogie in my hand and the big Schadenfreude on my face, but got news for you: Europe has committed willing harikiri. carry. They've committed willingly committed ritualistic suicide from an economic and political perspective. And I know I have many European patrons, and I feel for them all. And I try, to, I try to help them. I'm not allowed to advise people. Nothing you hear today is financial advice. It's all just me. I'm some asshole on the internet with an opinion. I don't have a series six, I don't have a series seven, you know, but, and I tell people that all the time. And, you know, obviously I'm not allowed to give individual financial advice, period. All I can do is talk about things in global macro terms and what I think are good sectors versus other sectors and blah, 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 blah that being said, I've got, you know, a lot of European patrons who are scared and they don't know what to do. And, uh, you know, I I keep laying out the arguments. Like, I think I used to joke with people saying, ah, the euro is going to 70 cents just to see the expression on their face. Now I think the euro is going to 60 cents. I think the British pound is going 80 cents. And I think that and you know, I wanted to believe you know a, a few months ago, I had just talking with people on in you know, the on the internet and on Twitter and on various podcasts and whatnot. I was like, look, I'm a dollar bull, but do I really want to see the dollar index go to one no. fifty? Do I want to see it top out in one twenty five and cooler heads prevail and let's you know let's work this shit out? Yes. Do I think we're capable of doing that? No. You know why? Because I don't see any change in the war in Ukraine. I don't see any any change in policy from the West at a geopolitical level to try and make peace with the Russians and the Chinese and carve up the world. And therefore, we are headed for a we're headed for an expansion of hostilities, which is only going to drive capital faster into the United States. This is Martin Armstrong's thesis, and he's absolutely correct about this. I I, I can't argue. How do you argue with something like that? Like, where do you think the money's going to go? And the Chinese are expanding the yuan as fast as they can, but they're not going to give up their closed capital account anytime soon. They're devaluing the yuan at this point to, 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 uh, versus the dollar to allow them to you know, loosen and print yuan while, they ever, while the rest of the world tightens. The Chinese are being very smart about this. They're loosening while the rest of the world is tightening. Cool great that's the right thing to do and eventually they're eventually they're going to have enough yuan liquidity around Asia to then be able to sell to be able to quote unquote export their inflation the way we did and start setting up the yuan as a regional reserve currency which means an expansion of their 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 debt markets and all the rest of it are they going to do a massive devaluation of the yuan? Are we going to see it go to 11 versus the dollar? No, of course not. But it's going to be a nice, measured, controlled drop. And I said this a year ago. I said, you don't be surprised. Within a year, you'll see the Chinese yuan trading above seven. And then within another year, it'll probably be trading at eight or eight and a quarter. But then it'll eventually stop. Once the dollar bull market burns itself out and the U.S. now has to deal with an overly strong dollar and all that money that flowed into the U.S. will have to flow back out again. When that happens, oh, I don't know. Cessation of hostilities between East and West, you know, um, you know, the breaking of the 50-state compact here in the United States. I don't know, but something world-shattering is going to be. It's going to be to send that the dollar index to that level. I'm like, I, do I want to see 150 on the U.S. dollar index? No, that's like Mad Max. Them at that point, like who the fuck wants to live in Mad Max world? I don't. I've prepped for it, but. I'm 54 now. I don't want to live in that world. When I was 35, I was full of piss and vinegar enough to want to live in that world. That's when I built my house. But I'm, th- I'm 54. I don't want to do this shit. And I only got one kid. And it's a girl who's absolutely not interested in living in that world. So if I had like three strapping, big strapping boys to help me in my old age and, you know, run my tompound out here in North Florida, well, that's, that's great. But I don't. So I don't want to see that world either. So if that's me talking my book, guys, you know, mea culpa. <laughs> Yeah. But that's where we are. I don't want to see any of this. So everybody, you know, cooler heads prevail, come to the table. And the question now is, is the Fed and the New York banks and what I've seen in some of the plumbing of, and the way I read the, the, the political situation, am I seeing the downstream effects of this pullout by the New York banks and the Fed from the globalist dream, wet dream of technocratic, you know, communism run by Germans? Um, is that going to help us actually avoid the worst of this, what I just laid out? Because if so, then you should be on their side. Because it means that we'll have a world war where only hundreds of millions of people die, as opposed to billions. And as shitty as that is, as that choice is, that's what you have. And the lesson is, that's and here, and here endeth the lesson. Ready? This is what happens. When you give that much power and control to psychopaths through through political systems that allow them to concentrate power. This is the ultimate reason why central banking is bad, which so many people, especially in the Bitcoin community, get at a fundamental level but you have to go through the process to get there. And you have to be willing to understand who is also could be your temporary ally while we get there so that it would be nice. All you hodlers out there may be right, but many of you may not survive. And then who's got the keys to your treasure to unlock that liquidity. If you're taken out behind the chemical shed and beat and beat for your treasure keys by those, 87,000 IRS agents they just hired. I, I, you know, this is the world we're moving towards. This is the world that they're going, that they want. Now, Am I saying that Powell and Jamie Dimon and the rest of them are all, you know, not, you know, don't want a version of that where they don't have control over this? Sure. But their motivations are very simple. They like money. Okay. And they like to continue to live the lives that they're currently living but they're not necessarily motivated by the same lack of, of limit on their behavior that these godless fucking assholes like Soros and Schwab and the rest of them. You know, you may, uh, to, to quote my, my, my partner, Dexter White, in the latest issue of the newsletter we just published last night, you may not believe in God, but you can damn well know That you better get acquainted with the idea that the people who are running this shit show absolutely do not. But that our policies and many of your own personal morality is still shaped by people who do. I don't know whether I believe in God or not. Don't even ask me that question. I'll give you some evasive answer answer like Jordan Peterson. But I act as if God exists. You know what's my spirituality? Well, that's another freaking podcast, dude. Like, I don't even want to go there. Right? I'll start invoking freaking Heisenberg and shit, and then we'll like really get into the weeds. But what's important is that there, I still accept and submit to something greater than me, which is the non-aggression principle, which is the kind of secular version of that. Oh, those same arguments. Like, I'm humble in the face of everybody else's. Um, right to life. Do you think George Soros or Nathan Rothschild or George, or or Klaus von Kami-Schnitzel or Ursula von der Leyen or any of these fucking assholes, do you think they believe in this stuff? I'll bet, I'll put better money that Jamie Dimon has a moral center of some form or another. Than any of the people I just mentioned. If for nothing else, then because after that guy had that aortic section a few years ago and nearly died, and had he been in any other place in the entire world other than New York City in downtown Manhattan, where the greatest concentration of people who could have saved his life were there, if he had been anywhere else, most doctors would have used to he's a dead man. They wouldn't know what to know what to do. And if you don't think that a, a brush like that doesn't change a man or at least open up the possibility of changing a man. Well, then I submit that you don't have any um, ability to believe that people change and have any ability for people to have any kind of redemption. And you should turn in your Star Wars um, fan card at that point because, you know, why the fuck did we all watch Darth Vader go through the exact same thing? That's why stories are important, Luke. It's why I it's why I study them as intensely as I study capital markets. It's why this shit's important, because it's what helps us try and map the the incentives and the reality of the individuals who are setting these policies, and the stories they greenlight as opposed to the stories that they try to suppress or try to tear down. Very important stuff. The culture war is part of the political war. It's part of the economic war. It's all the same stuff. It always has been. You know, I mean, to go off on a, that rant, but I, I think that's important to understand that that's where my, where these arguments come from, ultimately. They don't come from just, I'm just analyzing these numbers and I come up with these numbers. Like, numbers. Like numbers don't the Numbers are only confirmatory of what you, of what you understand a priori. Remember, an a priori hypo- hypothesis, when, be, when applying the the scientific method, you don't, collect a bunch of data and then form a hypothesis and then, and then form a thesis. You make a hypothesis, then collect data to falsify the hypothesis or not. You don't beg the fucking question, which is what climate change, climate change is one big beg the question. That's all it is. Or and everything else I've ever thrown in front of us. And then they call that science. Like, okay. All right.
0: Don't, don't question the science tom don't question the science um yeah, speaking I'm, not, of facts. I'm not allowed
1: I'm, I'm only a guy with 30 years experience in science yeah. that's all you
0: know. who the fuck am yeah. i
1: oh well you're not a climatologist oh fuck you genet you know, stuff mm. your genetic fallacy up your fat ass blue hair mm. like seriously yeah, yeah. Uh, i'm supposed no. to i'm supposed i'm supposed to be i'm supposed to be intimidated by some fat ass purple hair with tattoos and her you know using <laughs> her twat and tell me that i don't know science oh, yeah, okay fine
0: Guilty. The NPCs rule the world, Tom. The NPCs rule the world. Um, Speaking of diamond and climate change, um, one more question I definitely wanted to sneak into our conversation today uh, was uh, regarding Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. I wanted to pull up another chart that kind of caught my attention this week, and it was the Bitcoin hash rate is going absolutely parabolic in the middle of a bear market. So Bitcoin's down 80%. But hash rates going absolutely parabolic. So this is kind of we're talking about the geopolitics of uh, you know Russia, the yuan, you know maybe the possibility of them you know backing their currency by gold. Um, how how do you see Bitcoin playing into this bigger picture here? Um, because I, oh, I, just think I, it's-
1: I I love Bitcoin in this scenario, mm. right? but I also don't think that I. It's, uh, but I also don't think Bitcoin is ready. Mm. Again, I love Bitcoin and I love all, I'll be honest with you, I'm I'm a shit coiner at some level. I like all good, solid proof of work style, Bitcoin style coins. I think there's room for all of them. I think that, but I know, I know the Bitcoin maxis, you know, hate me when I, 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 when I, when I say this and I don't care. I, I don't care what, I don't care what fat ass purple hair say about my, uh, my, my, my adherence to the science. I don't care about Bitcoin maxis who I, I just view as religious fundamentalists. It's fine. They've got their religion. I just... It, it, they remind me of newly minted libertarians who just discovered the non-aggression principle for the first time, and yeah, they all go through their purity spiral. Everybody goes through a purity spiral at some point when they find their when they find religion, and Bitcoin is their religion, and that's fine. You know, they'll talk to me in five years. Now, I was a Bitcoin maxi at some point in my in my past when it was only Bitcoin. Now, the Bitcoin hash rate going higher here. It's telling you um, that the... Well, I don't know. i am actually be honest with you. I don't even know what it's telling you at this point. It's telling you, one, that there's still plenty of profit in Bitcoin mining. Two, it's telling you that there's no... I find fascinating is that there's no volatility in Bitcoin. Right? And that people are trying to get as many Bitcoin as possible. Obviously, the hash rate's going up. People are competing for the, for the hash rate. I'm just kind of vamping at this point. But I just looking at Bitcoin and pricing right now, I see the lack of volatility in Bitcoin to be very, very interesting. Um, that just means there's no liquidity out there. There Apparently in recent weeks, Bitcoin volatility has now dropped below S&P volatility on a historic, you know, historic basis. As was measured by the VIX. But even, but I don't generally in my technical analysis, I only look at volatility on an issue-by-issue basis. So I look at Bitcoin's internal volatility. I look at the S&P's internal volatility. Goals, they all have different volatility. Just by looking at week-to-week, for example, the range of prices, and then looking at that relative to um, you know, what the range was yesterday. So if so, let's just say for Bitcoin, the, the average weekly range, low to high, is $5,000 a week over the course of the last... Um two years hundred and twenty weeks just let 's aggregate some data right and that's all aggregating all the data from after Bitcoin broke out above um the four, the the, the ten eleven thousand level in November of 2020 right because then that's all that it. it's all that captures all of that data and if you if you do that and you run it you just go and grab the data and do a and do a, and get a median of the of the uh, of the of the range. So just subtract high from low, low from high, get the range for the the week, and that's five grand. And then if you look at last, you know, if you look at recent data, you know, Bitcoin's volatility is less than $1,000. Relative to Bitcoin's own historic volatility, this is unbelievably low volatility. This is a five sigma, negative five sigma, volatility for Bitcoin. That's what's interesting. In oil, for example, since the beginning of the war, oil's volatility has been at least twice as high as it was even after the apocalypse. What does that tell you? It tells you that people are, are volatility-washing in the, in the, I think, in the futures market to try and get rid of as much uh, volume in the futures market so they have more control over the futures market so that they can mutts with the price of oil. The fact that you can't get... They can't get any volatility in Bitcoin. It tells you there's no Bitcoins to, to volatility wash because they can't write futures contracts against them because there's no Bitcoins to write futures contracts against. And no one wants to take on the leverage. That's a good bullish setup. How long will this take for the bullish set up to resolve itself. Oh god, no who knows? I don't know. I'm just waiting for the just waiting for the breakout. But right now Bitcoin's putting in a really strong base between 18 and 22. Doesn't mean it won't go to 11 in a in a monetary spasm. We have a, you know, a complete seizure of markets. It's possible that, you know, people will have to disgorge their Bitcoin, but for the most part, everybody who sold every weak hand that sold Bitcoin in the rundown from $68,000, I think they've sold and now mine. the miners are fighting like dogs to get what's coming. The the, mm. the pittance of Bitcoins that are being printed every day.
0: Well, the thing about the mining that kind of piqued my interest was mm. energy prices around the world are skyrocketing. So the everyday people trying to mine Bitcoin, all of a sudden their electricity prices are up, what, 500, 600, 700% in Europe?
1: Well, um, in Europe, I, yeah. But, nobody, but is anybody mining in Europe? No, they're mining yeah. in the United States. They're mining in China. They're mining in Russia. They're mining in Iran. Where you know you know what they're paying for energy and Iran and China and mm. Iran and Russia nothing like they're paying they're paying and the energy prices there are nothing they're paying three cents a kilowatt hour I'm paying twelve or fourteen now and even that is cheap compared to Europe so go ahead.
0: Yeah, no, that that was just something that kind of I, I don't know. It was a thought I entertained for a second. It wouldn't be surprised if someone maybe in Russia or uh, maybe the US is you know saying, "Hey, let's plug in a shit ton of fucking miners." G- That's what the geopolitical here, world is wild. Let's let's mine some Bitcoin.
1: What I've noticed is, and I we we and Dexter and I both talked about this. I think about two years ago, we realized that um, before even China banned Bitcoin mining for the I don't know twelfth time or whatever now the big one that shifted everything that all the mining was coming here to the United States. You could see it in the IPOs. You could see it in the SPACs. You could see it, all, you know, you could see it when we went to Bitcoin 2021 in, um, you know, June of last year, right. That, you know, all of these mining companies were springing up and, and, uh, you know, the, cause relatively speaking the United States and the, I think the banking sector here in the United States and, and, uh, you know, they're responding to, um, um, Responding to incentives, you've got a lot of big money has moved into Bitcoin, and they want control over the value of that Bitcoin, and they're going to do that by having control over the mining, by having controlling over control over the the, the hash rate, because you know you okay. Let me put it to you this way: I own a lot of Bitcoin. I'm I'm a client for J.P. Morgan. No, no, Jamie Dimon hates Bitcoin, but it doesn't matter. He still sells. He still custodians Bitcoin for clients that want it. Right? He may hate Russian stocks, but he's still the only friggin'. His company is still the only U.S. custodian for uh, Russian stocks in, a, in, in the world for U.S. For, for U.S. customers. They are still allowed to own Russian stocks in some way, being in offshore accounts or whatever. Um, if you were a family office holding, you know, a thousand Bitcoins in a in a cold wallet somewhere, do you really want 65% of the hash rate in China? No. That has to repatriate. I got another, I got, I see, I'll make the Bitcoin maxis happy. I see a day when, when the federal reserve wants the price of gold to rise and they put Bitcoin on their balance sheet.
0: Bingo. I, I honestly think I, that's, If I love to speculate and I actually think the United States is positioned very, very well, or not, not positioned well, I think they're going to actually have to adopt Bitcoin or back the dollar by necessity because I, I, I look at the BRICS nations China, mm. Russia. I think they're all going to maybe try a gold-backed currency. Um, I, I don't they're also see gonna Europe...
1: back. There's also going to be some. There's also going to be some crypto in there as well. Certainly, the Russians mm. at this point, the Russians and the Iranians at this point are both. You know, it's clear that they have to be able to evade sanctions in the old SWIFT system in order to get that. And look, and you know, don't kid yourself. Ripple is not a solution around that because Ripple is a is also effectively centralized in that respect. They can. I I want I want somebody to make a good argument to me that you know the sanctions policy can't be implemented through Ripple. I may be wrong about that, but I but my um my instincts tell me no. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that would be a good thing because I see the WEF in there desperately wanting to control Ripple. They want to they're absolutely behind you know, they're absolutely in cahoots with the with the US Treasury and everybody else in order to to sanctioned the hell out of the Russians. Remember, Powell was not happy with the sanctions. That was one thing that, that you know nobody wants to remember. Powell was mm. like, nobody consulted me about these sanctions and what they were going to do. Yellen did
0: that on her own. So... It's another thing that just makes your eyebrows raise um, and just, yep. just maybe the last point I wanted to raise as well. Um, when you, when you talking about it, it makes sense that the United States wants to control the hash power. Something that I'm watching really closely um, is all of these stablecoin companies. So the, you got USDC, $50 billion market cap, Teva, 70 ish billion dollar market cap. I'm watching all of them back themselves with us treasuries and us debt. And I think that's really, really interesting. So USDC is hundred percent backed by debt. And Tether has historically been known for holding uh, all sorts of risky commercial paper. and sure. um, But over the past six months, Tether's come out and they're doing monthly attestations. They're selling their commercial paper and they're buying more and more U.S. Treasury debt. So, And and make MakerDAO as well. There's a uh, shitcoin, stablecoin that runs on right. top of Ethereum. Even right. they're buying U.S. Treasuries. Even they're buying
1: U.S. Treasuries. Yeah, I know. And, yeah. they're, and, and, and as the, the, the higher Powell raises interest rates the more they're gonna wanna buy treasuries to back their stable coins because they're getting a good return on their investment. I mean, yeah. The people who can't afford higher interest rates are the Europeans.
0: That's
1: why I'm like, they're not raising interest rates to fight inflation. They're raising interest rates to fuck Europe. Exactly. I, I, Whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's very clear. I happen to think it's a good thing because it's the USSR and, you know, they're a bunch of fucking commies. And, like, I'm done. Like, you know, I'm with Putin on this. I don't want communism. You guys gave that to us 100 years ago, you freaking Europeans. We don't want it. Like, I don't want it here in the United States either. I don't want the end of capital formation. Okay, here's one for you on the, on, on, to think about, oh, we don't have, we're, they're not moving towards communism? So yesterday, I saw a quick note yesterday that nobody, were, that nobody talked about. The, Bundestag just, the German Bundestag just voted or are considering a bill and most likely will pass because the Greens are in charge of the Bundestag, putting a 90% windfall profit tax on all energy profits. Not all energy profits above a certain level all energy profits. This is effective nationalization of all the energy companies, electricity companies in Germany. They're now a cost-plus model. Really? And don't we see the same rhetoric here out of the, the out of, you know, Lizzie Slapaho, Warren, and all the rest of them?
0: Christ. Like... Uh. It's outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> it's wild. Stupid. Uh, this is yeah. the
1: Germans, guys. So, mm. like, this is where we are, and this is the world that they're trying to make for us. But oh, but the economy is strong as hell.
0: Mm. Okay. Look, look, Tom, I well, want to be respectful. Like, I it's, it's,
1: it's like it's ridiculous. Like it's dumb.
0: That's outrageously dumb, uh, mm-hmm. Tom. I want to be respectful of your time, my friend. I've had you for over an hour, and I think that's a really good note to end the conversation on. We don't want yeah. fucking communism. Doesn't matter what way. Yeah, like, 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 you know,
1: I'm done. I don't want communism. Like, yeah. I you know, and I and and everybody and everybody listening to my voice, and everybody triggered by me calling these people commies. Got news for you, Uncle Joe was right. They really were commies trying to take over the United States in nineteen nineteenth, infiltrating the the the. The in the 1950s, the US government in the 1950s, he wasn't wrong. Mm. He was just, you know, he was his methods were terrible, but he wasn't wrong. Okay. Now, there are no isms other than freedom and the collective. Everything else is just wordplay. And who wants to play with the definitions of words to get their, uh, to, to rob you of your reason and get you to believe something that's not real. Propagandists, who are the progenitors of real propaganda. Collectivists. And they ultimately wind up being people who want to control the, the, the formation of capital at the centralized level. And it doesn't matter whether you call that communism or fascism or this-ism or that-ism. It's all wordplay. I call it communism because it triggers everybody. Left and right. But it's the same thing. you know they don't believe that you have a right to your life. You do. The question is whether or not you're going to be willing, how far are you willing to go to defend it? That's the question. And if you're willing to defend it, then you start thinking about how you can implement that in the real world and how you can manifest that behavior in the real world. so the the way you beat communists is by getting local, putting the isms aside, putting all the bullshit aside, you know. Making up for, making up with your friends who voted for Biden and your friends who voted for Trump and going, yeah, we we have, you know, we got crops to plant, we got cars to fix, we got, you know, burgers to sell, we got shit to do, we got, we got stuff to, we got roads to rebuild. Let's get that done. And then let's keep the money local. It's the best you can do.
0: It's all we should be focusing on doing. Uh, only stress what you can control um, and fucking ignore all the isms. I, I agree with you, Tom. I think there are weaponized terms to distract people from what's really going on. And that's yeah. uh, it's, the only thing that does matter is the collective versus the individual. Um, Tom, oh, any no. final comments uh, for the listeners today? Where can people find your work? You've, you sure. pump out so many good articles. Um, you have an amazing Patreon platform. So where can I send everyone?
1: Okay, so the, the, the blog is TomLawango.me. You can search my name, goldgoatsandguns.com, whatever. It's, it's both the same thing. Uh, Twitter, you can find me on Twitter at TFL1728. Um, and uh, we have Patreon slash goldgoatsandguns where uh, I, you can take, we have a two, we have, it's a very simple two-tiered thing. You can either get everything except the newsletter or you can get everything and the newsletter. The newsletter is a retail uh, uh, style investor portfolio uh newsletter with unique commentary. we we'll try to look ahead a little bit. Uh, rarely do those articles make it out into the real world. Um, and it's about 12 pages a month, you know, 11, 12 pages a month. Uh, that's where both myself and my partner, Dexter White, uh, produce work for that. And then, you know, the, 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 the other side of it is the, the lower tier is simply, I do twice weekly private market reports, video podcasts, chart analysis, commentary, yada, 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 and then whatever I want to do for private blog posts, which is which is my idea notebook, my idea engine, so. And I give all the best information to my my patrons first, and then maybe leak that stuff out into the world.
0: That's amazing. Uh, links to all will be uh, in the show notes of this episode. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for coming on, my friend. That was an amazing uh, co- uh, conversation.
1: Thank you, Luke. It was a great, great morning, and it's starting to warm up finally, so cool. It's all good. You guys be well.
0: That's good. See you guys. Have a good day. Now, what do you think of that episode with the one and the only Tom Luongo? Do you think we're both just tinfoil conspiracy theorists? Um, irrespective of your thoughts, I hope you got something from the interview. If you liked it, feel free to like the video on YouTube and subscribe to the channel. It really does help out the channel over here. So, do all the cringy things that uh, helps put us up there in the uh, YouTube algorithm. And I'm gonna to continue to bring you um, some really amazing guests here on the podcast. Obviously the faster we grow this channel, the better the guests I can get on here. So um, that's what we wanna do over here. Um, highly recommend you check Tom's stuff out. Some of the articles that we briefly touched on in today's interview are linked down below on Tom's amazing website. Tom also has a Patreon page. I believe it's only like $5 a month, um, and he provides a lot of value over there. So I highly recommend you go and check out Tom's work if you were um, a fan of what he said today. And let me know down in the comments below who you want me to have on the podcast next. I've had the pleasure um, of getting Preston Pish and James Lavish um, on the podcast this week. Uh, let me know if you want me to interview anyone else. And obviously, let me know what you thought of the interview today with Tom. But without further ado, I hope you guys have a good day. And I'll see you guys in the next
1: podcast.